the vows Chad made, that he would endeavor to live as a disciple and work and worship to the best of his ability, David could have made those vows. Many of you have made such vows. You've tried hard to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Like David, David was called by God. God came looking for David way before David went looking for God. God chose David to be his king, to serve him. David was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was an Old Testament example of a New Testament believer where the Holy Spirit came in and would not leave. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit, he went to work both in the royal courts and on the battlefields. David was a man after God's own heart. He tried hard to be faithful, like a lot of us. But despite the fact that he's God's friend, maybe best friend one might say, he suffers. You see, holiness does not lead to health. Worship does not lead to wealth. Piety does not lead to prosperity. David could name it and claim it all day long. He could sow his seed with the best of men. He could agree with God and speak into existence the blessings that he wants. But God has ordained that suffering be the lot of David. It's part of God's good and sovereign plan that hurts like crazy. But suffering is a part of God's ordained and perfect plan for his saints. And David finds himself suffering like us. He's approximately 30 years old at this point, and it feels like the weight of the world is on his chest or on his shoulders. Uh, the trials that he's financial, relational, emotional, physical, political, he, he gets them all. He is feared. He is distrusted. He is hated. He is envied. He is slandered. He is hunted targeted for destruction. Saul wants his head removed from his shoulders. He's betrayed by cities that he saves. Things are heavy. As he has 600 men with their wives and families, some estimate two to 3,000 people this 30-year-old leads. Things are scary as he leads them from place to place, and it seems like there's fewer places for him to go because Saul's men keep closing in on him, and people are scared to be associated with him. I think it's probably lonely for David. It is lonely at the top when you have to make decisions that not everyone appreciates, and we've already seen that his men are like, enough of this. It's not just your life you're messing with. Be the man. We know what God wants. I think he's confused sometimes as he prays how long O lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must i take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day how long shall my enemy be exalted over me it's been seven to ten years of this as he's like a cockroach scurrying for cover when the lights come on and it's getting old and I, I used to be a man of faith, and I used to be a man of patience, but right now I just find myself a man of questions and a man of anger and impatience. And frankly, God, I think this is getting ridiculous. So the text tells us that David talks to himself. That's a big term we see in 
the world today, the self-talk. What are you saying to yourself as you counsel yourself? And on the best of days, David does this really, really well. He's in the Word. He's spending time in personal prayer. He comes to worship services like this, and he hears God's Word, and he sings God's songs, sometimes even writes them. He has friends and counselors that are pointing him in the right direction, prophets and priests. He is not one who stands and walks and sits in the counsel of the wicked and the ungodly and the scoffers. No, David is one on his best of days that meditates on God's law day and night. He loves it. He delights in it. So he first, in his self-talk, hears from God, and then he starts saying, soul, self, why are you in despair? Why are you so down, oh my soul? Put your trust in God. He hears, he believes, he trusts, he instructs his heart. He writes, he sings, he stands, he serves, he fights, and he waits. Yes, that's our man. That's Saint David. Do like that. Okay, that's what he does in his best of days. But that's not what he's doing on this day. The whole text started in 1 Samuel chapter 27 with the words that he talked to his soul. Commentators have made a big deal that in this chapter, chapter 27, there is no mention of God. Throughout his life, David has been one who has modeled inquiring of the Lord. Here, there's no God, there's no scripture, there's no prayer, there's no prophets, there's no priests. There's none of that found in chapter 27. As a matter of fact, he doesn't look so much different from the guy in chapter 28 that Gordon preached about last week. A guy in distress, a guy in trouble, a guy who thinks I'm not getting the information I need from God, so therefore I'm going to go somewhere else and take matters into my own hands. Spurgeon says, in every other action of David, you find some hint that he asked counsel of the Lord. But this time, what did he talk with? Why, he talked with the most deceitful thing that he could have found. Saul went and talked with the witch of Endor. David talked with his wicked, deceitful heart. And David, in his conversation with himself, forgets the promises of God that God had made to him. Saul's not taking you out. You're going to win. I'm going to sweep him away. He forgets the words that have been told him by Jonathan and by Abigail and by Samuel and even by Saul. He forgets the presence of the Lord, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, I do not fear. He's with me even in the presence of my enemies. He forgets all that. He forgets the passion of God for him, that God loves him. The power of God, that God is not going to let anything befall him that's not God's will. And he has this long providential history, this track record of what God has done to set up David, even in this day when the whole world seems against him. He forgets this, and he becomes anxious for tomorrow as he's talking to himself. I know some of you are doing that, and that's why I was talking with a friend this week saying, be careful how much news you put in your head, because you really can't do anything about it. And all it does is cause you to worry about tomorrow, what may be happening, and you can't do that. Jesus would say, today's got enough trouble, why even worry about tomorrow? But that's where David is. 
And so David then starts forecasting, prognosticating. And he says this, I know that I'm going to be taken out. He delivers a false prophecy to his soul. And then he says this, there's nothing better. Or there's a lot of things better than what he's getting ready to do. He says, there is nothing better than that I go to the land of the Philistines, I go to the land of Gath, I go to the land of Goliath, and there I will find my sanctuary, my rock. And the Philistines will I trust. One commentator even said, David basically says, I accept Achish as my personal Lord and Savior. So much for the Lord is my shepherd, so much for waiting on the Lord, so much for leaning on the everlasting arms of God. This is David. And so now we see what happens with us when we neglect the good counsel of the Lord and then we start talking to ourselves wrongly, forgetting what he is, was said and who he is and what he's done for us in the past. Our actions start following our affections. The internal capital S sin that is inside starts showing itself in sins or transgressions on the outside. And so now David has already wandered from the truth in his self-dialogue. He now wanders with his feet. He's done this before. We saw his sin at Nob when he lied to Abimelech and ultimately hundreds of people were killed. We saw him fall again in Gath. He's already been down this road before. He's returning to his sin. He's already trusted Achish or someone like him. We saw him at Carmel when all of a sudden he was done wrong by Nabal and he determined that he was going to respond as would Saul. This is a bad day, I told a young man this morning, if you're going to trust in David. Because David's going to let you down. Again. The sins follow the sin. The habits follow the heart. The actions follow the affection. David leaves his mission field. God has already sent him back into Judah one time. He's gone again. A.W. Pink says that he covenants and swears to be the servant of the pagan king. David went over to the Lord's enemies. Would you have believed it that he who killed Goliath, he who now seeks refuge in Goliath's land. He who smote the Philistines trusts in the Philistines now. He who was Israel's champion becomes the chamberlain and servant to the pagan king. How far we can fall. Look what he does with his men, taking 600 men and their wives and their families out of the land of promise to now find safety in the sanctuary of the Philistines. Chuck Swindoll writes, Nobody takes his lumps alone. You drag others with you. When you make a decision that is wrong, when you choose a course that is not God's plan, it affects those who trust in you, who depend on you, those who look up to you and believe in you and follow you. This is what David is doing. He's wandering, but he's not wandering alone. Tough to swallow as a father, isn't it? As a husband, as an elder. People are following us, and quite often we may be wandering and leading them in the wrong ways. Most believe that during this period of time, no psalms were penned by David. One man says he goes from a physical wilderness now 
to a spiritual wilderness. David at first looks like he has made the right move. Quite often this is the case, isn't it, where sin just helps us to breathe, takes the pressure off. There's some short-term consequences that are, that are pretty good. And I know maybe I shouldn't have gone down this road, but it sure does feel good to be here right now. And I think that's true for David. He says, looks okay for now. For 16 months, things seem to be going swimmingly. He goes and he says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. I'm going to protect your border. I'm going to, to go on raids. I'm going to bring back bounty and I'm going to give it to you. I'll be your mercenary. Me and, me, and your, me and my men will be your mercenaries. All I want is a town. And Achish says, okay, you can have the town of Ziklag. So now he's living in Philistia. But he doesn't have to live with all those ungodly Philistines. Uh, he's able to keep his secret because he pretends that he's raiding Israelites, but he's really not. He tells him he is, but he's really raiding the other uh, pagan Canaanites and bringing back bounty and God lets him keep his secret. He wins wars. He gets prosperous himself. It looks pretty good. And beside the fact, Saul won't even come close to bothering him. Quite often, this is what happens with sin. The short-term benefits and the pleasures of sin are real. But then David, after his sense of, I've got this, told you this was an okay thing to do. Don't be so legalistic and judgmental. Then he says, oh me. He finds himself neck deep in trouble. Whoa. Didn't plan on being here. All right, let's, let's think through this for a moment. I'm the man after God's own heart. I'm the guy who refuses to touch the Lord's anointed, which is Saul. My best friend, Jonathan, is over there with Saul. And what is my calling in life on my business card? It's Israel's Messiah. My job is to save Israel from whom? The Philistines. But on this day, a major offensive is now getting ready to happen. All the kings, the commanders, and the lords of the Philistines have gathered together and Achish says, hey, Dave, you and your force, I need your services over here now. And so they come over, and all of a sudden, David is now supposed to fight against the Lord's anointed that he says, I will not touch, against his best friend, against his own people for the Philistines. Uh, at this point, you've got to be wondering, how am I getting out of this corner? An old phrase, the chickens have come home to roost. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Oh, didn't see this coming. And quite often that's how we find ourselves in the day of sin. We thought it was cute. We were just playing with fire. We were just knocking the little rattlesnake around a little bit and watching it wiggle. But all of a sudden it comes back with a bite. The pain is great. It's at this point that even though David has greatly sinned against God, he experiences more grace. Grace from his stupidity. Somehow, God uses the Philistines to send David home. 
they look and notice and say, hey, isn't this the guy that we hear singing, people singing about? Isn't this the one that took off Goliath's head? We know how much he hates the Philistines. What are you doing bringing him here, Achish? Achish says, no, I swear, he's my boy. He's my man. <laughs> he's not going with us today, they say. And send him home. And so he sends David home and David somehow argues. There's different reasons for this. I'm not going to get into it too much now. Some say David really wanted to go to war because he wanted to turn on them in battle like they were fearful of. Some say he's just keeping up the ruse and the lie and needs to get back to Ziklag. But God was gracious. Even though David found himself in a pickle, God would not leave him there, and God allowed him to go home with his men. And so merrily on the road they go. They don't have to go to war. You can imagine as they're going home going, this is still working out pretty well. All of those guys are going to go fight. And I'm going to go home, and my wife's going to have that casserole that I love and the fireplace going and the, the, the sandals ready for my feet. Right, Laura? This is how it happens when I come home. It's going to be great as my kids are going to be all bathed and clothed and running going, Daddy, Daddy, and it's awesome. And then he crests the top of the hill, and he sees in the, in the distance smoke. It'd be just like someone on the Israeli side of the border struck by Hamas. Terrorists have entered the land. They're called the Amalekites. They have plundered. They have killed. They have taken women. They have taken children. And they have burned the entire town. How panicked would you be if you were one of those American families or Israelite families or other families right now and your daughter was in the hands of men you can't find right now. The thoughts going through your head, the pain, the sleepless nights, the agony, the hatred, the bitterness, the blaming. Ultimately, David, Israel's Messiah, is targeted for destruction by his 600 favorite men. They want to kill him. They're considering stoning him. This is where David finds himself. But at this point, God meets David in a special way. Yes, there's disaster and mourning and wailing and crying and screaming and terror and horror and angerness and bitterness and blame and danger and shame. How have I wandered so far from you, Lord? How did I distrust you? Even more foolishly, how did I distrust you and place my trust in someone else? How did I get back in this cesspool of sin again? I've already been in trouble in Philistia. And now I'm here again, right back where I started. I backslidden. 16 months I've been here. I am not trusted by my people. I have led them wrongly. I have harmed them. I'm more like King Saul than I ever dared imagine. 
I'm confused, God, and I am bitter in soul. But David experiences even more grace. You see, God is sacred. He is holy. He has a will. He has a law. He has principles. He expects you to obey. He expects you to submit. And he expects you to know that when you wander away from him, that sin always brings with it consequences and suffering. It hurts. So he's good in his communication to you saying, don't go this way. It's the way of pain. It's the way of death. God is sacred. And it's never safe to thumb your nose up to the holy God. But God is stubborn. Stubborn in love, who refuses to take no for an answer, who will not leave his own people be, who will chase them down if necessary, who looks out over the fields waiting for his prodigals to come home. He pursues them every day of his life with goodness and mercy that follow people. He is the great God who loves to show grace to those people who have spurned his grace. This is good news for people who find themselves suffering and wonder, would my sacred God ever show me even more grace? And at this point, David is the anti-Saul. For Saul felt distress in chapter 28. Saul was at the end of his rope, in over his head, neck deep in trouble, going down for the final time. But he would never, ever repent. Why? Because the Bible says repentance is a gift of God. That means repentance is a grace of God. And here is God coming to David in great sin and troubling his soul so that David now repents. He has a change of thinking, a change of perspective. This is what repentance is. Repentance is that which takes place in the man as he now looks with fresh eyes upon the law, looks with fresh eyes upon the gospel, looks with fresh eyes upon his God, and is transformed on the inside. And then what happens? After repentance comes belief. I believe that my God will not forsake me. I believe that he keeps no record of wrongs. I believe that I can't outrun his grace. I believe that he will forgive me if I confess my sin. I believe that there is coming one, David would have believed, who is going to live for me and die for me. So, and I rest on him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. Notice there's no works yet. David repents on the inside. He believes and has faith and trust on the inside. And then that leads to fruits of repentance, fruits of belief. His faith leads to faithfulness on the outside. That's what true repentance and true faith does. It's an inside thing that then shows itself in fruits and works and actions and activities. And at this point, David strengthens himself in God. He proves that he repented. He proves that he has the gift of faith because he then inquires of the Lord. He goes and gets the priest who goes and gets the ephod. And his next sentence from next week's sermon is, what should I do, Lord? The Lord gives him a command. And David says, game on. This is the grace that God has. He seeks the Lord's will. He learns the Lord's will. 
God's will is to repent, believe, and fight. So now I wrap this up with a couple questions. You know where we're going. Have you sought to be a faithful servant? We can all say, yes. I'm giving it a good try sometimes. Have you found yourself like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress? I have called upon Jesus. I have changed my name. I'm marching to the city of God. I can't wait to get there. And all I find along the way are trials, tribulations, troubles. And sometimes I'm in the slough of despond, despair. Excuse me. David's men were like Job. They lost everything. David was like Job. David was like Sarah. David was like Esther. David was like Jesus, who once said, and now my soul is troubled. Yes, suffering happens to us who are saints. And some of us start talking nonsense to ourselves, like Moses in Numbers 11, when he said, I'm not able to carry all these people. The burden's too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, then just go ahead and kill me, God. Or Elijah in 1 Kings 19, when he says, can I just die now? Lord, just take my life. The false talk leads to wandering. So we sing that song. If you were at John Vrice's funeral on last Sunday, sang the song, Prone to Wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Sure, talk about your new heart. Talk about your new affections. Talk about the new man. Talk about walking in the Spirit. I'm all for that. Those are all benefits of the new creation being found in Jesus Christ. But it's not until glory that I am removed from the influence of the old man, the old flesh, the old nature. I am a saint and I am a sinner and I am prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love more than you know. To repeat my former transgressions, to return to the place previously that I have been delivered from, to fall back today into yesterday's transgressions, to be like the dog returning to its vomit. And when I wander, I just don't hurt me only or alone. As a representative of the session, I hurt the session. As a representative of the church, I hurt you. As a representative of my family, I'm the patriarch that sins and hurts horribly. And I have torn up Laura for 30-something years as my sins just keep hurting her. Yeah, sometimes sin's fun, and it looks like we get away with it. The short-term delight release of pressure is fantastic until it's not. We find ourselves in over our heads. Find ourselves like a gomer so far from Hosea wondering how in the world did we get here? Or a Judas maybe who even says, I sold my Savior for what? Oh, I know that there are some people who are going to be really troubled by this because your heart has grown fond of David. But listen to Dale Ralph Davis. David, you might say, has won your heart, but now he's disappointed you, as most of God's servants will do. Did you ever think that perhaps the writer is trying to correct your mistake? Yes, you, Bible reader, may have fallen into the trap of hero worship, of looking on your pet Bible characters and exalting them too highly. 
Why should you be surprised, shocked, and offended? The text is saying that God's chosen anointed servant is made of the same stuff as all the Lord's people. Must we throw out God's kingdom because not only its subjects, but even its premier servants are sinners? The text will not allow us to view Saul with only contempt and save nothing but admiration for David. The text resists every attempt to make David the mirror of all virtue. Instead, you must get a grip on grace, period. The Bible does not claim that God's servants are dipped in Clorox so they will be infallibly sin-free and attractive to you. The living God does not have clean materials to work with. As long as we wallow in this idea, uh, some, uh, some idea of human unworthiness will never allow us to understand the gospel and we will never tremble before this God and delight in Him. We must get a drip a grip on grace. And so we are like David. David is like we, us. What are you going to do? This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents him. And he only gives it to dirty people to people who see their unworthiness and hate their unworthiness and recognize that they don't hate their unworthiness as much as they ought, but want to hate their unworthiness more, and on the inside right now are hearing all of this and are saying, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? How much longer can I go down this road? How much longer can I sit in the pit when my father's servants have enough bread? And they're just there on the cross next to Jesus saying, you didn't do anything wrong. I deserve this. Father, will you remember me when you go into your presence? This is for you. Sin is not cute, for God is sacred. You've been called to be sacred. That's law language. It's good language. It's best for you, and none of you are any good. We are sinners, but we have a God who's not just sacred. He is stubborn. And he will not lose one of his sheep. Not one. So I don't know what your sin is. I know what mine is. Mine are. The ones that I should have forsaken a long time ago that I keep jumping in and swimming in. They just keep coming back up. But my God loves me. He died on the cross for all of my sins and yours that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved and anyone who has already called on the name of the Lord and has already been saved and is called Saint David, who finds themselves in Prodigalville, can be strengthened in the Lord and come back. And when that happens, what is our response? Those three words I think you're going to hear from me quite often because it's in the book Gospel Waltz that I want you to read with me. Repent. Believe and accept. And then fight. For we have people to love. We have enemies to defeat. We have a God to serve. We have maturity to express. 
We have abundant life to enjoy. What ought you to do if you find yourself in the cesspool of sin and you are here today? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. He is sacred. But He's stubborn in love. And He will even use your dismal history to serve His purposes as we will see next week.